my wife likes me home in the evenings, and I respect that. And so uh, I haven't been here, but I've heard great things. And after tonight, nobody will come back. So the thing is, um, it, when, when I was asked to talk yesterday, I can't explain it, but you think back to that moment when you were done, and you realize, how can I describe all the things that have happened? It would be impossible, but I'm going to do my best. And the thing I really want to focus on tonight is not really about me. Now, some people came up and they wanted to hear my story. So I told Dawn, and I said, I guess I need to do my four-step, but it's, it's at home. But I'll try to let you know how I qualified to get here and then what happened. Because my story is really about the power of God in my life. And I got that through AA. And, it's, and my story today is how things are on June 2nd, 2018. Because they were a lot different last year, five years, 10 years ago, 15, 20 years ago. And it says in the big book on page 29, that what we're really supposed to share in our stories is how I established my relationship with God. And so that, and tell what I did to do that so other people might want to do the same thing. And really that's the message. It says we're supposed to carry the message. The message in AA, there's only one message in AA, is that if you work the steps, you'll have a spiritual awakening. And that's the only result we have. And a spiritual awakening for me is that I have a power in my life today that I can rely on. I have a power in my life today that can show me the truth about my thinking. I have a power today that can relieve me of my fear and my anger and can relieve me of my self-centeredness. The only thing I have to do is get out of the way and follow a few simple rules like it says in the book. And really, um, my story of my alcoholism started when I was little maybe five, I can remember, because I didn't feel good going to kindergarten. And I worried about what people thought. And, uh, I, and I used to make up stories to get approval from my parents. Uh, the one I really remember is I was about eight, and I went to a JCC summer camp where they had a pool. And they had the swim meet on Friday. And I wanted to win the meet so I could make my father proud. So <clears throat> I lied to him and told him I won. What happened was they said go, and I forgot to go. But it was important that I get his approval. I don't know if any of you can relate to that. That was a story of my whole life. I never felt good enough. I told the meeting the other day, I went to medical school to, so my mother would love me, so I would get approval. It worked out. I thought I was a good doctor. But <clears throat> I was always seeking things out there to make me feel good in here. And it was never enough. <clears throat> we talked uh, Friday and we read the passage. Uh, I was under the delusion that I could wrest satisfaction and happiness out of life if I could manage well. My whole life I was trying to manage well just to be okay. And I had moments of triumph, but they were short-lived. Then fear would settle in, I would be uneasy. I got restless, I was discontented. No matter how things were, I was always looking for the next thing to make me feel good. And so I had that long before I ever, ever drank. And I went into treatment in about 1987. And in those days, they had treatment centers. Can everybody hear me? They had treatment centers, and uh, they were making a lot of money off of us. 
because insurance paid and I went for 30 days. And the guy says, you need to find God. I said, great. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't understand what was wrong with me. Nobody ever explained it. I did a four step there with the priest. I went to meetings for years, once a week. I never had a sponsor. I read the book, but I didn't understand it. I, I became a, a Christian, so I would get approval. It sounds silly, but you know, I was the drug addict, alcoholic doctor. And so I came back into town and I wanted everybody to approve of me. So I became uh, baptized and I, I wanted to do that, but I think in the back of my mind was some, just to be part of things. I don't know if you can relate to that. And so I spent the next 15 years sober with untreated alcoholism. It wasn't pretty. My motives were good. I was very successful, made a lot of money, uh, made a lot of bad decisions otherwise. And even in those regards, ended up uh, in 2001, uh, lost all my money in the stock market. Not all of it, but a lot of it, because I was greedy. And I managed my own accounts. I don't do that anymore. I don't do that anymore, and that's why I was able to retire. Um, I was in a very bad relationship. Things were really bad. And a lot of fear. Uh, my, my home was a battleground. Um, so one night, I said to myself, I'm going to have Kahluan cigar. It made very good sense. Make sense? And the thing in the back of my mind was, it can't make things any worse. And after about six months, I remember it was, it was uh, February 7th, 2008. And at that moment, all the bedevilments had come true. They, you know, I, uh, I can read them, but most of you know them. You know, I was full of misery and depression. I couldn't control my emotional nature. I uh, was useless. I could still work. I, I could work and I functioned. I didn't drink at work. But I, that was going too. I knew that was going. And on that day, I said, you know, I don't know what's going to happen to me. I guess I'm just going to die. And I didn't see any hope. It was uh, February 7th. And then the next day, I woke up and I didn't realize that that was the day that uh, God was going to make a move. And so that day, around one or two in the afternoon, things weren't going well. And I said to myself, I took a break from the office and I went over on the second floor and I just got down on my knees and I said, I just can't do this anymore. I just, just can't go on, completely defeated. I, I, and I was so full of fear and the bedevilence, not only were the benevolence, but I had the four horsemen. And I woke up that morning to the four horsemen in terror, complete terror, bewilderment. And I got down and I said, you know, I don't know what to do, but I give up. And I said, God help me. I wasn't complicated. I said, I just can't go on anymore. Can't do it. So I got up and I went over and saw Sister. I hope I don't cry. I get emotional. I'm a very emotional person because I'm an alcoholic, very sensitive. Anyway, uh, I went to her and I said, you know, Sister, I need help. They, they had suspected that I was having problems. I'm sure they had suspected it very strongly. And, and she hugged me. And I just said, sister, I need help. I cried. 
she cried too. What a wonderful Christian woman. And they, um, they sent me to a treatment center in Lawrence for doctors. Uh, I just needed, I just needed to get away from where I was and I just needed to get a start. And I was on, uh, you know, I had the detox and all that and just, it was, it was really, really a hard couple weeks, but it was the beginning. I felt like there was hope and I was gonna be okay. I can't explain it, but I knew once, once I gave up, I was gonna be all right if I just did everything they told me to do. And I said, I'm gonna to go to AA this time and I don't care what they tell me to do, I'm gonna do it. Because I knew AA worked, because I had seen it work. And so I was there a couple of weeks, I came back, and I don't know if it's, I have to remember how bad it was the first month when I give my new sponsees a hard time because we have to remember how bad it was. It was just bad. But I, I, was, I knew things would be okay. The things at home were not changed. Nothing was changed, but I met some great people. I met Larry Vandergaard and I met uh, the Ron Cowan group. And, uh, but the first thing I did, I went to the Kansas Medical Society and I saw this lady, Mary Ann. And they were helping me get my life together. And I said, well, I'm going to go to the Saturday morning meeting at the club, 9.15. And she says, well, my husband goes there sometime. I said, well, great. And so I go there, and there's this guy sitting three seats down. It was Cliff Starbuck. And he started telling his story, you know, how he went down the stairs and he cried. And you've all heard, the old timers all know that. What a wonderful man. So I was thinking, you know, I need a sponsor. And he seems like he's... He's got his crap together. And he's not, he, he, I didn't need to get like the best sponsor or another doctor or anybody. I needed somebody who worked the steps and knew the program and had something I didn't have. It just, I don't know why it was hard for me, but I did, I asked him. And he said, great. And then uh, we, went, we went downstairs and we talked for a little bit. And then he gave me a cell number and he said, well, you can call me every day. Or he said, call me, and then we were going to meet the next week. So I got in the pattern of calling Cliff every day. So after about a month, he says to me, you know, I'm running out of minutes. <laughs> I'm running out of minutes. We'll have to figure something out. So I started calling him on the way home when he was at home every day. And, that, and then I, I had a strong connection with uh, the fellowship. You know, uh, I went to the, the Tuesday meeting with... Ron and uh, Wayne Hunley and Billy Rourke and all these other uh, guys who a lot of them are gone. A few are here tonight that were there at the first ones. I went to the, they had a doctor's meeting on Wednesday night because doctors are special, you know, and they have to have their special bonding. That, that was such crap, but, but, but they were great guys and it really helped me. I mean, I couldn't have done it without that because that's all the support I had. God was working through the people, the power of the fellowship. I didn't have a relationship with God then. And um, <clears throat> things got a little bit better. I needed to make some decisions about my home life, but I wasn't gonna do it yet. I was gonna take my time. I did a, a four step as best I could. And after about six months, I decided I was gonna change my home situation. And I talked to Cliff and Larry and a few others about that. And that was hard, but I knew it had to be done. And I did that, but I did it after 
prayer and meditation and, and advice and counsel of people I respected. And so then uh, that, that, that improved. That was a hard six months. And then I, uh, after about six months, I met Patty and we've, we got married about a year and a half later. We've been married almost 15 years. And she's been a gift from God to me. I told her I was gonna say how great she was tonight. Just tell them that she keeps me grounded. <laughs> I don't know what she meant by that, but, she, but uh, she does and she's my rock and that was a gift. And then um, uh, over the next couple of years, I went to a lot of meetings. I uh, did not study the book, I read it and I read the 12 and 12. Um, after about three years, I decided that I wanted to study the book with a group of people. So I, I started a meeting in my home in the basement and that became the Prince of Peace meeting. And I was also going to the Sunday night meeting at the church out on 29th and they lost their room. So we decided we were gonna move out of the house. So I got a room at the Prince of Peace because one of my patients was the secretary there. So that's how they have the Prince of Peace. I'm not saying I'm responsible for it, but that's how I was involved with that. And, and we did the, uh, that meeting's still going on today. I think it's gonna celebrate 13 years. So, and then the next thing that happened to me was um, Mike Herman's here. He had a big, uh, a big hand in my uh, uh, journey because he used to have these raffle tapes on Sunday night the cassettes and the CDs, and he got me this, I won this Joe and Charlie tapes. And well, you know, I, uh, I'm a triple board certified doctor. And Joe and Charlie, they're from Arkansas. <laughs> I mean, what, what could they possibly tell me? Yeah, I ride an exercise bike every morning and I would listen to AA speakers. I started to do that, and I was listening to this Burnsby, and he, uh, he was a physician, and he was involved in the National Council for Alcoholism, and he had a really good story. And he said, after 10 years, I'm, I'm, I'm riding the bike, I'm listening to this guy, I got Joe and Charlie over here. They've been sitting here for a long time. And he says, you know, it wasn't until I listened to Joe and Charlie that I understood the program and the book. I said, Joe and Charlie? I've heard of that. And then I said, well, it's right here. So I said, well, you know, maybe that's an old idea that I need to let go of. And so I listened to that and it changed my life. I mean, it just changed my life. I said, oh, wow. I didn't realize what, how the book was laid out, how the steps were meant to be done. And I listened to that so many times. And I started to work the steps out of the book, like Joe and Charlie. And then, uh, then about uh, 2008, no, about 2004, Cliff started to have fevers. <laughs> anyway, Cliff got cancer. And uh, I became his doctor. Can you imagine? And so all these years, I've called Cliff and complaining and asking him for things. And then it started to be that I would ask him what was going on. That was a major change, you can understand. And uh, we had a long journey. Uh, uh, 
about two and a half years, but he started getting really sick in June, uh, May of uh, 2008, and we had to put him on hospice. And you know, one thing about Cliff is he worked, he lived the steps. He lived the steps. I never heard him complain. I'd say, you know, this is, he says, it'll be okay. It'll be okay. And then um, we had to put him on hospice, and uh, Rick uh, H., who does the Prince of Peace meeting, he was his hospice nurse. He's, I don't think he's here tonight. And uh, I would go, go by and see Cliff the Sunday before he died. I took him to the 9 o'clock meeting on Sunday, which is his meeting. He always sat down there with the guys. And, and you know, he said the most amazing thing. He welcomed the newcomer. And then he always said this. He says, I'm a lucky guy. He always said that. You guys know him. I'm a lucky guy. And he meant it. And here he is on oxygen. And I, I knew he wasn't going to live very long. And we talked about on the way home, we talked about my son Curtis. And Curtis was on drugs, and he was a mess, and couldn't seem to reach him. And, and Cliff and I talked about it a little bit. And then that uh, Friday, I was supposed to see him around 11 o'clock or 12. I told him I'd go see him, and then I'll go to the meeting. And around 8, eight o'clock, something told me that I better go see him. And so uh, he, he, was, he was dying. He was really struggling. Marianne was sitting there, Rick. I was sitting there, I was holding his hand. And you know, I said, Cliff, it's okay. It's okay to let go. And then he just, he went to sleep. So how many people come in and then they end up uh, holding their sponsor's hand when they're dying? I mean, it was, and I, I think I helped him. I think uh, he helped me. That was special. And I didn't realize that God was preparing me for a lot of stuff coming down the road because, uh, that was June 6th, and then I remember I went to Dr. Bob's house to see my daughter. Uh, Julie lives in Cleveland, and we drove to Akron, and I went to Dr. Bob's house. This was like August 2nd or 3rd that weekend, and I remember I went up on the third step room, and I said the prayer. If you have ever been there, it's, it's really something. And I got down on my knees, and it was really special, and I didn't realize that God was preparing me, because uh, Sunday, a week later, I remember I went out with Ed Tuggle on Saturday night, and we talked, and uh, I knew Curtis was not doing well. Uh, he wasn't at home. Uh, he wasn't on the street. He was with his, uh, his mother in Wichita. He had money. He was planning to go in the Navy, but I don't know if he's ever going to really want to do that. He came up that Saturday night and he died at, what, 4 in the morning. I got the call at 7.30 from the ER docs, and I said, well, why are they calling me? I'm not on call, you know. And then the guy said, well, Curtis died. So I was standing there in the basement, and we have stairs. It's a, it's a lower level. And um, I knew the big book. So God put this right in my, I can see it as if it still happened. He said, if you stay close to him and you let him demonstrate through you what he can do, you can handle with calamity, with serenity. And so I said, you know, I'm going to stay close to God. I know the, uh, my buddies in AA, everybody will be there. I'll get through this. And then I, when I went to the uh, 
emergency room at Tuggle was there because he worked with Penwell Gable. And then when, by the time I got home, there were 10, 15 people in the house. And I had a lot of support that week. And then on uh, Thursday, we put him in the ground. We had the service that Wednesday. And uh, uh, that night, uh, it's hard to explain the emotions when your child dies. And so um, uh, I was really uneasy. And I had, these, these events all came together. One of the patients told me, I have a swimming pool and I like to swim every day. And they told me I should get an MP3 player and listen to it. And they thought I'd listen to books. But I was listening to AA stuff, you know. And I knew I had Joe and Charlie on there. And it was 8.30, I said, I'm gonna go swim for 20 minutes. I said, that'll settle me down. I'm gonna listen to whatever God wants me to hear. And actually, before I, I went and did that, I was sitting in the chair and I said, you know, I'm not gonna be one of these people that wears this on their shoulder. You know, my son died, poor me, this and that. Because it wasn't about me, it was about him. And I, I felt really bad that he died, but I was never angry at him. I wasn't angry at the situation. I felt that it was his time, that God had decided he was suffering enough, and he took him home. And I knew that he was powerless, so God couldn't, wouldn't hold it against him because he had no power. We're powerless, right? So anyway, I said, what can I do? I said to God, what can I do to make something out of this so people don't have to die? So then I swam, and I got out of the pool, and I, and I got down on my knees. It was the third step. And I said the third step prayer. And then, you know, I don't know if I heard God's voice in Aramaic or Hebrew or whatever, but something said to me that you're going to do big book meetings like Joe and Charlie. So someone won't die. They'll know the program. They'll know the steps. So I said, well, gee, I, you know, how am I going to do that? And then, and then somebody says, you'll, you'll, you'll be okay. You're going to do this. So we could put Mandinos out of business. We did that a lot in Topeka. That was a great meeting. But we put out of business, so they, a couple of the guys, I don't see any of them here tonight, they got the 1100 Club, Charlie Wheeler in particular. And we had a little room there. And um, then they moved into a little bit bigger room. This was August. And I said to Charlie, I said, I'm going to do a meeting. I'll start at the end of September. And I'll start a Saturday meeting. And it wasn't any official, or I guess it was on the schedule. We called it Experience the Big Book. And so I had to get my notebooks out and started taking notes, listening to Joe and Charlie, uh, figuring out how to teach it. It was a meeting where I was, God told me, you're going to teach this. It's going to be a seminar style. It's not going to be a discussion meeting. We had enough of those. And uh, so I started doing that. Uh, a lot of you remember the notebooks. I don't use them anymore. Uh, so I started doing that on Saturdays and uh, very committed to it. And um, it was hard because I was working and I would be on call on the weekends and I'd have to go to the hospital before the meeting, but I got up early and made sure and I was always prepared. And that went on for a while. And then I started the uh, Sunday night and a Wednesday night. The Sunday night was going to be a little bit different and the Wednesday night I was going to do the, each step in a week. And eventually they all became the big book and they were three different parts of the book. And I think I've done 1,300 meetings, maybe more. And um, 
the, the one thing Mark was telling me about today, uh, when I decided to do it, here was my goal. It wasn't to be a big shot or be famous or everybody say, oh, Michael's great, he's doing the meetings. I had heard this story about the starfish and how the man and his son are walking on the uh, beach and there are all these starfish and they're all dying. And the son is throwing one back. And the dad says, well, what are you gonna do? There's so many of them. He says, it matters to this one. So my goal has always been, if there's one person there that I can help, one person that'll get the message in this book and then do it, and, and their life will change, it's worth it. And I've uh, tried to sponsor a lot of people. I always go up to the new people and ask them uh, if they have somebody to help them. And if people know about the meetings, I'm always there Sunday, an hour before working with somebody. Uh, since I retired, I do Wednesday. And then um, the, the members wanted me to tape it. And this lady was from Texas. She came up and she wanted to tape it so that she could listen to them. And she lived in a remote area. She wanted them available. So, um, I got a new sponsee who works for IT at Washburn. So he says, well, you can tape them, it's on the phone. There's a thing on the phone. You know, I'm a doctor, I don't know these things. And he says, you can tape them on the phone. And then he could put them in the internet on this WordPress. And so we started taping them about February of last year. And then I had another sponsee who did marketing and did website design. And we said, well, Chris, can you uh, do this? And he designed the whole site. It's very good if you've seen it. It's really a good site. And so we've done that. I, I've written 62 thoughts. It gives me something to do. I'm retired. I've written thoughts on all the steps. I'm finishing step 11. I've written on all sorts of things, like what is AA-approved literature, and what's recovered alcoholic, and all these things. And I'm going to continue to do it. So I think it's been of service. I don't know how many people look at it or download, but if it helps one person, it's fine. And so that's, uh, that's where we are with uh, the meeting. Now I want to talk about the book and my recovery. Is that okay? Because did I talk enough about my story? I want to talk now about how the book has changed my life and what I've done. And how it's, uh, if I have any message tonight, it's just that this book is a treasure map to God. This is AA, it says AA on the title. There was nothing else but this book when they wrote this. In 1939, there was no hope for me. And they put this book as a testimony of what they did. And it says the story of how 100 men and women recovered from alcoholism. Now recovered meant to them, I don't know, I wasn't there, I didn't talk to them, but that they weren't under the obsession to drink all the time. They had had a power in their life so that that wasn't a constant battle for them. And they had a relationship with God. Now, recovered is a, is a fragile condition. And it's, uh, the recovered promises are on page 85. I'm getting off my script, but who cares? <laughs> the recovered promises are if I'm in fit spiritual condition, I'm going to react sanely to alcohol. I'm going to see the truth about it. It won't have power over me. Now, page 85 is the 10th step. So there's a warning. You've got to do the 10 steps 
to get the recovered promises. And then the next paragraph says it's a daily reprieve based on maintaining this fit spiritual condition. And then 10 and 11 is how I do that all day. And so it's a treasure map to God. I don't worship the book, but I worship the map because the map gets me to God. And so it's a textbook. That's the other thing I didn't realize. It's, it's a textbook. It's meant to be studied. Now, a textbook is something that conveys information from, from somebody's mind to someone else, and they're teaching it. So it has to be studied as a textbook. I didn't realize that till uh, I listened to Joe and Charlie. And it's a book that seems very complicated, but it says a few simple things a, a thousand times. And so the other thing about the book is it's a testimony of what they did. You don't have to like it. You don't have to read it. They don't care. They, didn't, they just say that this is what we did. These are the specific directions to recover. If you want what we have, this is what we did. Now, if you want what you have, keep doing it. <laughs> but if you want what they have, you do this. And it's specific and precise. So you're gonna make a cake, an AA cake. To make the AA cake, you have to use the AA directions. Now what a lot of people do is they make an AA cake, but they change it. They change the recipe a little bit. And then their cake doesn't seem to work for them. And so that's the other thing I learned from listening to Joe and Charlie. And on the preface to the first edition, it says we had recovered from a seemingly hopeless condition of mind and body. Now, the, the word there that's important is seemingly. They, I had a hopeless condition of mind and body on February 8th. I was hopeless. But it's seemingly because they have a solution. But the solution can't come from me. It has to come from a power greater than me, which is God. Well, I said, great. God, fix me. It's not how it works. I have to do certain actions for God to allow God to work in my life. And if you look at the table of contents, it's laid out the problem, the solution, and the program of action. And uh, how do you change? How does an alcoholic change? Well, you know, we all want to change when we come in here, right? Well, the, the way you change in AA is you have to be willing to change. Now, what made me willing to change was I was completely defeated. Now, I, I like Father Leo. I don't know if you ever heard of him, listened to him, but he talks about that moment of defeat that I had on February 8th, 2002. I never want to forget that moment. I never want to forget how bad it was. It was bad when Curtis died. It was bad, but it was not as bad as that total hopeless condition of mind and body. And he says, every meeting is really supposed to be designed to keep that moment alive. He says, that's what the meeting should be, for you to remember your moments so you don't repeat it. And so that moment, that moment of hitting bottom was not the circumstances of my life. Because your circumstances can keep getting worse. It was the moment of grace from God. It was from God that I could see the truth that I was hopeless. And it says, men and women will not do this program who are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. Well, I've been in meetings where people are discussing what that means. 
I don't know what they meant, I wasn't there, but what I think it means is that if you can see that you have a hopeless condition of mind and body, it says that you, have to, you, have, you just follow a few simple rules. But if you can't see that you have a hopeless condition of mind and body, you're not gonna do the program. And I think everybody here had a moment of grace to get here. And the grace came because I was humiliated and defeated from alcohol that I was open. See that moment, that brief moment when I, I was open to hear the voice of God. And so if anybody's had that, please don't waste it and not do the steps. Because that grace will only last a certain amount of time. And then God, God will not do for me what I cannot do for myself. So I have to be willing to change. And that's this arch we build to freedom. You remember that in the big book? We're gonna build an arch to freedom. Well, what the hell is that all about? What are they talking about? Well, the, the bottom of the arch, the foundation is your willingness, your first step, your complete defeat. And then they say the cornerstone of this arch to freedom is to believe that there's a power greater than you that can restore you to sanity. And we read We Agnostics this morning, and you know, uh, for an alcoholic to give up on themselves, it's like the battleship story. The uh, battleship's uh, coming, and they're, they're, it's nighttime, and they're, they've got their uh, direction to follow. And they see in the distance this light. And they say, well, they're in our way. We're a battleship. I'm an alcoholic. I'm, I'm on this path. And, and they, say, they send a signal to the light, and they say, uh, you, better, uh, you better move, because we're coming. We're a battleship. And so the light says, well, we're not moving. They say, well, you don't understand. We're going to run you over. They say, listen, we're a lighthouse. <laughs> now think about it. For an alcoholic to give up and to change direction is a, is a really powerful thing. And just to be willing to let go of me and my plan. Willing to believe. The keystone of the arch to freedom is the third step decision. So you have to be willing to change, you have to believe you can change, and you have to decide to change. Now the big book tells me that I have, I have a requirement before I could do the third step. It says I have to be convinced that my life run on self-will could never work. And they spend two pages describing me and how horrible it was. If you haven't read it, reach page 60 to 62. And then they tell me the root of my problem is not alcohol. Alcohol was a solution to my spiritual malady. I was separated from God, running my life, and I, had, I was my own manager, and when I did that, it doesn't work. So that was the root of all my troubles. And then they, they give me a warning. They tell me I'm gonna die. If I don't get rid of it, it's gonna kill me. They don't mince any words. So when I'm reading with somebody, they say, you really mean that? I said, it really means it, it's gonna kill me. But guess what? It says, I can't do it. Only God makes that possible. And so they say that how and why of it is that I have to stop playing God. I said, wow. You know, if you took videos of our minds before we came in here, they would arrest us. We're running the world. <laughs> We go through the day and we're 
this one's not doing this, and this is that. And, they, they put us in asylums. When I was in medical school, they had asylums for crazy people. But we're alcoholics. We, we think it's true. That's the sad thing. And I had to stop playing God, and then they said it didn't work, and I, I pondered that for quite a while. Well, why didn't it work? And then it came to me, I'm not God. You see how, how, how crazy we can be? I don't have that power. So it says we have a new employer. I work for God, he's dead, I'm the child. And once we do that, we have all these third step promises. It says, uh, we have a contract with God in the third step. I don't know, it's on page 63. Anybody written their contract to God? It says, God will give me everything I need. All I have to do is stay close to him and do his work well. Well, well. So how do I stay close to God and do his work well? I work the rest of the steps. I go from page 63 to 88 and I live in them. And if I do that, I've got everything I need spiritually. Everything I need to, to be okay with life. What a promise. The other thing, and Dr. Paul says this, he wrote Alcoholic Addict, Acceptance is the answer. He said the other thing that we give God is worry. It's his job. We give God worry. And so how do I stay close to him and do his work? Well, I work the steps every day. And then it says if we do that, we lose fear. Anybody want to lose fear? Wow. And we are reborn. What a promise. And then they have the third step prayer. And that's the cornerstone. And, and they have a warning after the third step prayer. I don't know if anybody's ever read it. <laughs> the warning is, you say the third step prayer, it says, be sure you're going to give yourself, abandon yourself completely to God. Don't just give him work or the wife or alcohol. You have to give him everything. And then you, you put the other steps in the arch with step four through nine. Step four is not very complicated. I've done a million meetings on it. I got a handout on the thing that follows the book. I look at the things in me that blocked me from God. I could decide to uh, have God run my life. And I hear people talk about they turn their will over and take it back. I don't know what that means. All I know is that I block God out. God's there, so how did I do that? Well, that's what I inventory in my four steps. I look at my life on self-will, and it says I look at the manifestations of self. Well, there are only three things we inventory. We make the fourth step like it's some great uh, ordeal. And you know, it's only the fourth step, by the way. <laughs> there are eight others. The manifestations are resentment, fear, and my harmful conduct, especially in sex. And for resentments, I see how they're not true. And I see how they were killing me. And I see how they were a waste of time, and they were always my fault. And it says I can never be angry. Well, what, what the hell is all that about? Of course I can be angry. You can, you can react with anger, but you don't have to stay angry. Anger is a choice to me today. Before I came in here, it wasn't a choice. I mean, I got angry all the time. And, and there are a lot of people I resented. And I was a judgment machine. Anybody else know? Probably somebody's judging me right now. Well, have fun. <laughs> Whatever you think, it's true. Uh, and so then I, I make the three columns. And I learned when I did that that whenever I got angry, they threatened me. They threatened my instincts of life, which Joe and Charlie go into in great detail, and it's in the 12 and 12. 
We all have three instincts of life, sex, material, and emotional. And I decide, because I'm playing God, and I have a chart on the site that I've given out a million times, self. If I'm deciding what I need in those areas of my life, I'm going to be threatened all the time. So whenever I'm threatened, I'm playing God, I decide what I need, if it's relationships, if it's my pride, my self-esteem, money, sex, ambitions, work, I get angry. And so I, I never knew that. Now, I can't always fix that, but I can stop reacting to that by asking God, and we do that in six and seven all day long. But the thing that really changed my life was pages 66, 67. Talked about it 18 million times, Dawn's nodding. I love Dawn and Amy, where's Amy? They held their big books up Wednesday. We had all these Vallejo people there, and their big books, hers is all marked. Dawn's is falling apart. I said to them, guys, this is what it takes. This is what it takes, knowing that stuff. So anyway, 66, 67, it says, do I want to master resentment? Anybody want to master anger? It's right there in the book. Four paragraphs. And, and you know, I've been to a lot of discussion meetings, and I've never heard it discussed. I've heard resentments discussed. Now, how do you get free of anger? They say, this was our course. We decided that anybody I was angry at was perhaps spiritually ill, like me. Now, the way I interpret that is they're human beings. They are who they are. They all have their personalities. And I have to understand that. And it says, I ask God four things. Give me love, patience, and tolerance for that person as I would for a sick friend. Then it says, how can I be helpful to them? So already I'm changing my attitude. What this does is it changes my attitude towards that person. Now, a lot of people talk about praying for the person they're angry at. I don't have an opinion on that. That's not in this section. That's at the back of the book in Freedom from Bondage, and it may work. But I do this. And I, so I ask God, how can I be helpful? And then it says, God save me from my anger. And I say it. And I'm saving me from my anger. And that's why it's all about me, my anger. It's not about them. And then it says, God, give me a kindly, tolerant view of them. And I do that all the time, because I still people bother me. And I do it. And, and in fact, I don't want to waste time with the prayers, so I just decide that it is what it is, and I, I, they are who they are. Don't even wait. I don't want to waste. It takes about three or four minutes to do all that. And then, then I look at my mistakes. Well, there were mistakes in all my resentments. And then asked me, was I selfish, dishonest, and considerate, or afraid? Well, of course I was. And I was always inconsiderate. Joe and Charlie mentioned that. Why was I inconsiderate? Because they're just human beings. I'm only upset if I'm playing God. And so uh, that's given me tremendous freedom from anger. Uh, the next thing is fear. Anybody get afraid? Am I going too long? Can I go a few more minutes? Fear is the next thing. That we inventory. Well, I had fear all the time. And fear was uh, with all my anger because I was threatened. And so how do I get free of fear? Well, they tell me I have to rely on God and trust God. And we talk about the second step proposition at the uh, meeting. It was written by Dave Frederick. And we look at those areas of my life that I'm not giving to God. And why I'm not giving them to God. That if I'm not doing that, I'm going to be afraid. 
If I get afraid of, at all today, I'm managing that area of my life. So there's a prayer. God, remove my fear, direct my attention to how I should be. Not do, be. Because if I be a certain way, then I'll do. We always talk about doing the right thing. I need to be the right thing. And how do I need to be? Loving, patient, kind, tolerant, considerate, compassionate. And if I be that way, trusting God and grateful for what I have, then, then I don't have to have fear. So I, don't, I, I had fear for so long that now when I get it, I say, I'm not going to waste another minute on it. It's a complete waste of time. Now, I don't always do that. I may spend a minute, five minutes, but I don't do it. I had a God box. I used to have to put a lot of stuff in there. Haven't had to put anything in there in a long time. I looked at it a few years ago, and the first few years, it was the same crap <laughs> all the time. And I realize now that I have God. I don't have to be afraid. Then the other thing is we look at our sex inventory and sex conduct and our conduct on how we hurt people. And that's where we see uh, how we have to make amends. Now notice, I didn't talk at all about all the horrible things I did. Well, they'll come out, but that's not the purpose of it. The purpose isn't for me to confess my sins. My purpose is for me to know why I sinned. And what, I, what in me made me separate from God, my character defects. Now this is where the card comes in. I hope you all take one. This card's changed my life. I got this from the Joe and Charlie. The left-hand side is my self-centered personality. This is me, this is how I wake up in the morning. The right-hand side is how I wanna be. And I spend all day trying to go from the left to the right-hand side, and that's step six and seven. And eight and nine is where I forgive people and I'm willing to make amends. And that's where I get free of uh, the fear of people because I don't have anybody that I know of consciously that can walk through the door that I'm afraid to see. If it's somebody that I've harmed, I'm glad to see them, I can make amends. And that's how that promise has come true. So that's the arch to freedom. And then it says if we do that, we get these promises that are read at every meeting. And then how do you keep those promises going in your life? Well, it says you've entered the world of the spirit, which is a good place. And step 10 talks about how you stay in there. I'm not gonna go through all that tonight. You can come tomorrow night, we're gonna do step 11. And that's how I stay in the world of the spirit. And if I'm the world of the spirit and I stay in fit spiritual condition, then I'm gonna be okay. Now we go in and out of it all day long. We're like an airplane. When they take off, they're usually off course, right, Will? And they have to, you have to correct the course all the time. That's the way we are. We're, we're alcoholics. But I don't have to stay off course unless I want to. And then prayer and meditation is part of my life now. I wake up, the first thing I do, of course, I always think about myself, right? I stop because it says stop. They don't say stop, Michael. It wasn't written to me, but they say stop. Before you consider your plans for the day, ask God to direct my thinking, divorcing it from selfish, self-seeking motives. I do that because I'm starting today saying I need help today. Then all day long I follow through on the meditation, and that's how I live. Some days I do better than others, but my life is really pretty peaceful today. Unless I make it, I make it unplaceful. See, I didn't learn that, and it's a process. I've been doing this a long time. And I've gotten a lot better at it now than I was even a year or five years ago. It's a process. 
But if you keep trying, you keep seeking God, it's going to happen. So the, you, you're willing to change, you believe you can change, you decide to change. And then unless you take action to change, nothing's happened. And the action's four through nine. And then living in 10, 11, and 12. And then I have faith. Now the big book talks about that a lot. We start with belief and we get faith. Faith in the big book is trust. You have trust to God. Why? Because you have knowledge of God because you've seen him work. And we agnostics is those without knowledge of God. That was us. I, I believed in God, I prayed, but I never used God. And so now that when I use God, I know God. And the more I do the steps, the more I know God. And my life's a lot better. So anyway, I talked too long, but appreciate uh, the opportunity to speak and thank you. <laughs>